today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Oftentimes, God will deem it necessary to use the dramatic, the demonstrative, and even the theatrical to do that which mere words cannot. Now, why do you say that that way? Because sometimes I get blasted for being too demonstrative, too animated. Well, sometimes God uses that. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Sometimes the Lord uses a creative means to wake us up. Even the Israelites, God's chosen people, failed to follow simple directions at times. In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. will illuminate the story of Jeremiah's unique message from the Lord to the Israelites, and thus how we can protect our hearts from ignoring his voice. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Chapter 13. So just one chapter again. Um, So much here. Don't want to rush through it, so let's just get to it. Why don't we pray? We'll ask God to bless our time together if you would join with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, we we humble ourselves before you. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, you need to settle our hearts and help us by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here, Lord. We're we're hungry and we're thirsty for you and Only you can satiate that hunger and that thirst that we have. Lord, we need and are so thankful for your word and for what we have before us here in your word. But we desperately need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and be our guide, especially with this chapter that we have open before us, Lord. Lord, thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this chapter. Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our time together in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so this is actually one of the reasons why I didn't want to take two chapters and rush through chapter 13, because the chapter that we have before us, It's very powerful, actually. It's kind of graphic in some places, as we'll see. But Jeremiah is told to do something analogous, for lack of a better word, concerning God's people, rejecting Him in their pride, namely that of humbly clinging to the Lord, instead of refusing to hear the word of the Lord because of their pride before the Lord. I know you know nothing of this. This is a theoretical Bible study for us. When it comes to pride, I have a PhD in pride. 
I'm very humble about my pride and very proud of my humility. But in all seriousness, it is really my hope that our study of this chapter will have its much needed impact on our lives because if we're honest with ourselves, we all have this propensity towards pride, and pride is so destructive, so deadly, and we're about to see that. Let's jump in, verse 1. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash, and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord, and put it around my waist. Now, I think we would do well to understand what a sash is. This is not something <laughs> common in our day, foreign to us really in our day, but it was a, a belt of sorts. Uh, it would be strapped around the waist and worn typically by a priest, and it would denote dignity, beauty, nobility, humility, and it was really for the purpose of getting someone's attention, because it would adorn the wearer of this cummerbund in, in the old days, right? A cummerbund, it would, oh, how about this one? This is maybe better. You know when guys rent tuxedos? That's what they call it, right? A, a cummerbund. Yeah, you'll never catch me. Well, first of all, it wouldn't work for me very well, but it was like that. And it was something that would be ornate and even fancy. It would really get people's attention, especially if a prophet wore it. Because you have to understand that they wore robes, right? They didn't wear jeans and aloha shirts, just, you know, they wore robes. And so now Jeremiah is told by the Lord to go get this sash, a brand new sash. Don't put it in water, just put it on, strap it to your waist and wear it. Okay. So Jeremiah does it. Now, verse 3, And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates. This would have been ancient Babylon, modern-day Iraq and hide it there in a hole in the rock. Notice conspicuously absent from the narrative is any mention of Jeremiah saying, why? Wait, what? <laughs> okay, I got, I got the sash. Now you want me to, by the way, about five, six hundred miles one way. It would have taken about three months. And there's no mention, no hint of any questioning of, Lord, what are you up to? I mean, I got the sash. Now you want me for three months to take this thing to Babylon, which, by the way, is the very place that Judah would be taken captive to. 
So, verse 5, I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Okay, now stay with me and think this through with me. Can you imagine? First, here's Jeremiah. We don't know how much time had went by from when he bought the sash, wore the sash, and then took the sash to the Euphrates. So can you imagine people looking at, what in the world is Jeremiah wearing? <laughs> what is up? Wow, that's kind of looking dapper, Jeremiah. What, you, you got a new sash, I see, and you're wearing it. And well, that's kind of odd. And then all of a sudden, you know, they wake up the next morning and open up the blinds, because they had blinds back then, let's say, and they're looking out the window, and oh, where's Jeremiah and his new dapper sash that he bought and has been wearing? I haven't seen him. Yeah, I haven't seen him either. Hmm, I wonder where he went. You think maybe God's getting their attention? Because he would have likely and he's going to do this twice, as we're about to see. He would have likely been absent for about three months. I wonder if they had parties. Finally, he's gone. We got rid of that guy, that doom and gloom prophet. I think the sash sent him over the edge. That was the final straw. Well, not so fast. Verse 6, now it came to pass. After many days, again, we don't know how long. So now Jeremiah has come back. No sash. That got their attention too. Oh, Jeremiah's back. Did you see? Yeah. Where's the sash? I don't know. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash, which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it, and there was the sash ruined. It was profitable for nothing. He's on his way back now with a ruined sash. Question, why wouldn't God just have Jeremiah speak this, even in a parable form, and prophesy, Judah, you are likened unto a sash, tied to the waist, then put in a hole, subjected to the moisture in the earth and the mold, and ruined and you were likened unto this sash. First of all, if I'm thinking this through right, we've saved six months, and the prophet Jeremiah has also not had to travel two times, about five, six hundred miles one way, to get from Judah to the Euphrates. So again, here's the question. Why would God 
have Jeremiah do this instead of just speaking this. Because they weren't listening to the word. He could have spoken about sashes until he was blue in the face. They would have given him no attention. Oh, but you do this. Now you've got their attention. I imagine them kind of waiting. Where'd he go? He's gone again. What's up with that? Now he's back. He's got that stupid stinking sash on and it's completely ruined. Why is God doing that? Um, Well, you'll forgive me, but this is my story and I'm sticking with it. Here it is. Oftentimes God will deem it necessary to use the dramatic, the demonstrative, and even the theatrical to do that which mere words cannot. Now why do you say that that way? Because sometimes I get blasted for being too demonstrative, too animated. Well, sometimes God uses that, because sometimes that's the only way that God can get through to people. I think it was Charles Spurgeon, by the way. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. He had an amazing sense of humor. God invented humor, and laughter is actually therapeutic and medicinal and healing, by the way. There's a lot of research on that, too. So I guess Charles Spurgeon You know, the humor, and I always pray, God, you have to temper me and control me, and I I don't want to get too out of hand, and I want to have my humor be under the control of the Holy Spirit, and so you, you need to temper me and control me. Well, Charles Spurgeon had an amazing sense of humor, and after one of his sermons, a woman approached him and said to him, Mr. Spurgeon, your sense of humor, it's not appropriate. To which he responded, Oh, my dear sister, if you only knew how much I held back. Again, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. So we're going to see this here in a moment, but again, sometimes God deems it appropriate to use the dramatic the visual, in order to communicate a truth that is not being received when that truth is communicated using only words. Real quick, one more thing on this before we move on. Think about Jesus in the Gospels. How much imagery did He use? I think about Matthew 6, one of my favorite of all, well known, the sermon that He preached, And he uses the visual illustrations of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field. And he's using that visual so that they would understand what just saying the words may not get across. You see that bird? Imagine him, for those of you that have been to Israel with us, it's affectionately known as the Mount of Beatitudes. There on the hillside, the Sea of Galilee below 
I mean, it's beautiful, it's stunning, it's breathtaking. Especially in the springtime, can you imagine? There they are, and he's pointing to these birds, he's going, look at those birds. Do you see them freaking out and fretting and worrying and fearing about what they're going to eat? Do you see them over here building these barns and stuffing them full of worms for next month? No. They're singing. Why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them, and they're not even created in the image of God you are. How much more valuable are you? That's a visual. And every time they would see birds, they would be reminded of that. Same thing with those flowers in the field. Look at the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. The splendor of their colors, even Solomon wasn't clothed as majestically and beautifully as these flowers. And here's the thing, they're going to be here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, gone tomorrow, and yet your heavenly Father clothes them. How much more valuable are you than they are? I'll tell you right right then, I, I would never look at a flower the same again. And I would never worry about ever having something to wear again. You know, back then, you were considered wealthy if you had more than one set of clothes to wear. If you had a wardrobe, you were considered wealthy. Have you ever thought about this? Moths will not eat holes in clothes that you're wearing. I know that's deeply profound. The moths will eat the ones that are being stored, that you're not wearing, that you don't need. Again, God will use the theatrical, the visual, the dramatic, the demonstrative, the animated. He'll go to this extent, if that's what it takes. Thus says the Lord, verse 9, in this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. Now again, let's just go back to the comparison. If Jeremiah would have just spoken about this sash and not gone through all that he went through with this sash, do you think they would have had and gotten and learned the lesson of the sash? Judah, I know you've been wondering about my new sash and where I went, and what in the world, I came back, and now it's good for nothing. You're the sash. You're going to be taken captive to the very place I took that sash. You have become useless, unprofitable, good for nothing. You're ruined like this sash. Why? Pride. The pride of Judah. The sash is ruined. Judah is ruined. What ruined the sash? The great bride. Notice the delineation between Judah 
and the great pride of Jerusalem. The pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. I mean it almost sounds like the understatement of the century when you say it like this, but pride ruins everything. See, here's the other thing. That uh, sash, it was a testimony that would bring glory to bring the attention to God. So now it's been ruined. The testimony's been ruined. What ruined that testimony? Slash, sash, pride. Pride ruined it. Now it's unprofitable. It's profitable for nothing. It's good for nothing. And by the way, getting back to this whole dramatic, theatrical, wow, that's really quite a bit to get across that point. Well, listen, it just shows you the extent, as we're going to talk about in a moment, to which God will go because of His love for us. God will do whatever it takes. But he did something similar, almost more dramatic, with Isaiah. How about Hosea, the prophet? How about Ezekiel? The things that they did to illustrate dramatically, it was a, a dramatic theatrical illustration and demonstration to get their attention. That's what he's doing here. He wants to get their attention. He's got their attention. Their attention's on that sash, and now he's brought it home. He's driven the point home. You're the sash. It's ruined. Pride ruined you. For as the sash, verse 11, clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown. Listen, for praise and for glory. But they would not hear. See, Israel was to be for the glory of God a witness to the Gentile nations. They were to get the attention of the people onto their gods so that the Gentile, the pagan nations, would look at Israel and those sashes and those people and say, what kind of God is it that they serve? These people bring glory to God. They give all the credit to God. All the attention is drawn to God but they've ruined it. They've marred it. Because see, I wanted you to be that sash that cling to me, that adorned me, that brought glory to me, that brought praise to me, for renown that would bring people to me. This is the takeaway. There's many takeaways, but to me this is the main takeaway. We as believers are to humbly cling to the Lord 
for the glory of the Lord. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you're enjoying these teachings in the book of Jeremiah, we encourage you to continue following through this series with us and to read on your own, too. God may reveal some things to you that you'll find interesting. In Spirit and Truth is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of In Spirit and Truth, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're at our website, feel free to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D. He also gives prophecy updates weekly that touch on the things happening right now. If you're ever in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you come join us. Come visit Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D., You can find service times and directions on our website. Once again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. If you'd like to access any of these things on our mobile app, you can do that too. Go to the Resources tab on our website. You can download from there. That's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Thanks for listening today to this teaching in the book of Jeremiah. We hope you'll join us for our next edition of In Spirit and Truth, where Pastor J.D. has much to share with you about what God's been putting on his heart. But until then, be thinking about what you heard today, what it meant for the people then, and what it means for you today in the here and now. Come learn what's coming up next here on In Spirit and Truth. Truth, truth.